Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living, a program designed to educate and inspire listeners throughout Indian country. American Indian and Alaska Native Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he is here today to help you learn more about your health. Here is Dr. DeRose. Welcome to today's show. I'm Dr. David DeRose. I'm in a really exciting venue. I've been in the area of Coeur d'Alene and Spokane, Washington. It's Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Visiting with folks who are making a difference in the Pacific Northwest when it comes to optimizing health. One of those people is sitting right across from me. In fact, he's been gracious enough to allow me to come into his clinic, at least one of his clinics, and record this show. Dr. John Torquato, it's great to have you with us on today's edition of the program. Thanks, David. I appreciate that. John, you are doing some exciting things from a number of venues in this part of the country. Tell us a little bit about who you are, first of all. Well, I'm a family practice physician, and i uh board certified in family medicine. I work in a local area of Coeur d'Alene uh, with uh, physicians and uh, community people that are interested in what I call whole person care. And uh, I have also an office in North Spokane in the Mead area. And, uh, and my, I have a, a number of individuals that are working with us to do community health programs and outreach. That's exciting. It's uh, not just a conventional medical practice. In fact, it's far from a conventional medical practice. As I understand what you've been doing over the years, John, a lot of people would put this under the umbrella of whole person care. Uh, is that a, an accurate way to describe the kind of practice that you have? It is. Uh, whole person care um, adequately describes it because it's not just the physical aspect of care that we try to address um, so many people today are recognizing that medicine is greater than just our physical beings. There's also a spiritual, there's also a social, there's also an emotional component. And, and I address all four of those areas when I speak to patients and when we seek to help people in the community. There are whole communities that have a better handle on this than, than we typically do. We have nurses that understand it better than we typically do. Even Native Americans understand this better than typical medicine because there's a more holistic look at whatever the disease process. It's mm -hmm. not just disease mm -hmm. process. It's, it's actually a whole life issue. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, this is so important. I remember... Uh, working for a number of years in Oklahoma, and we were doing things along more of the same model there. Many of the First Nation people that came through our, our facilities, they said exactly what you're sharing. They're saying this is more like our traditional Native ways. We weren't just giving them a bunch of medication, saying, you know, take this and you'll be fine, but looking more comprehensively at lifestyle, looking more comprehensively at, as you mentioned, the social, the spiritual, the whole interrelational dimensions, the environment, how that uh, plays into things. So with that background, John, if someone were to just show up here at this uh, family medical clinic. Is that what you call this facility we're in right now? Family medical care, yes. Family medical care. Show up at this clinic, and it actually has a Coeur d'Alene address? It's actually in Hayden, which is seven miles north of Coeur d'Alene. Okay. So it's within the same region. So even though I'm here, I'm still getting my geography, having arrived That's a couple okay. of days ago. So basically right here, someone walks through the doors of this clinic 
why are they going to say this is something different than I've experienced before? Well, typically somebody comes into a medical office and what they're looking for is a medical opinion that will help to alter their thoughts about things and hopefully spur them onto action and then give them some habits that they'll develop over time. Um, I realize that that's not enough, really. Um, so if you if you look at some of our histories, for instance, I had one lady that we helped to lose 100 pounds of weight over wow. a period of over a year. She lost 100 pounds, and I was ecstatic. But what I discovered is the year or two later, she was back 100 pounds plus five. Mm. And the reason why she was back, I found, was because although we had changed her behavior, I had a very behavioral focus uh, on changing a uh, lifestyle. We had never changed any of the mental, emotional, spiritual, or social ramifications of her physical behaviors that were causing this problem in the mm. first place. And so really nothing ever changed, just the behavior of the physical life. And so I like to, to evaluate some of those issues. I like to uh, evaluate such things as hope. Hope. Joy. Uh-huh. Guilt. Hmm. Um, Peace. These are some of the things that when people come in, actually they receive a form and I've kind of, there's a, a woman who uh, writes uh, from over a hundred years ago, kind of these, these ancient writings, if you will, a uh, hundred years ago, and she laid out the things that build up your life mm -hmm. and the things that tear down your life. Mm. And I've turned those into a document where people self-rate. And I cannot tell you how many times I've identified disease, if you will, of the life that didn't show up in the physical exam. Hmm. It didn't show up in the labs. And changes that were occurring that were dramatic, where people's lives were wasted otherwise because they were caught up in this guilt, mm -hmm. this hopelessness, mm -hmm. that when that was addressed, everything changed. Wow. So you've developed an instrument, some kind of a That's scale. One. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. And is this something that is proprietary? Do you just use it in this clinic? Have you shared it with others? Um, no, I've shared it multiple times. It's not proprietary to me. I'm actually nothing that I do is really original. I just take stuff that other people are doing and, mm -hmm. and apply it to local uh, uh, work. And um, it's actually written by this woman by the name of Ellen White mm -hmm. and found in a book called Ministry of Healing. And it's there for people to use. And they could take it out and use it. Um, I put it into a scale. They could have my scale if they wanted to. There's nothing to it. You know, it's nothing amazing. It's just somebody else's work that I've adapted. Well, I'll tell you, you've got my interest as a clinician. I'm saying, boy, I've not heard about this. And you and I have rubbed shoulders over the years. Maybe you've mentioned it and it just oh. kind of flew over <laughs> my head. But, but you got my interest. How does someone, if they wanted to contact you or your team and maybe access this, get this copy of this instrument, how would they go about doing that? Um, they could send me an email at drtorquato at fmcclinic.org. That's D-R-T-O-R-Q-U-A-T-O at fmcclinic. That's Frank Mary Charlie clinic.org. Okay, I'm going to see if I've got this. You've got a pen handier than I do. And uh, we, we are doing some, trying to experiment with doing some video content with these shows. Whether we actually pull that off or not remains to be seen. And I am writing D-R-T-O-R-Q-U-A-T-O. Yeah. Quato, Dr. Torquato at... FMC Clinic. FMC, and then there's another C-L-I-N-I-C. Dot O-R-G. Dot O-R-G. Yes, correct. Okay. So uh, we've got 
Dr. John Torquato's email address, and that's Torquato, T-O-R-Q-U-A-T-O. Correct. At fmcclinic.org, Dr. Torquato, just D-R. Okay, so John, I've got your, your email address. Others have heard it. I know that I'm planning to follow up with you if we don't square it away right here while we're in your clinic and get a copy of this instrument. But you're doing some other really innovative stuff with whole person care. But before we go there, I know we've talked a little bit about this, but I find a lot of times when we talk about terms, people don't understand maybe some of the basic vocabulary. Have we really covered that so far? Do people need to understand a little bit more? So I think more would be helpful. So we started talking about the typical medical interaction, and it basically boils down to a professional opinion that turns thoughts into feelings, feelings into actions, actions into habits. And the holy grail of medicine is to establish the action and the habit. So it's kind of a scientific model. It's called Prochaska's model of change. It's the trans-theoretical model. Those are the scientific terms for it. Mm -hmm. You go to pre-contemplation, contemplation, actions, habits, or maintenance, you know, and uh, and then they go back around the cycle. Um, and, and it's based on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, basically, where you uh, have at the very basic need um, things like self-preservation as the basic need. Um, what I find is when a person comes to the doctor's office, they're often driven by fear. Hmm. Mm -hmm. The fear is, if I don't change, I'm going to die. If I don't change, I'm going to suffer. If I don't change, my diabetes is going to take my leg off. If I don't change, my obesity is going to alter my blood pressure to the point where I'm going to have a stroke uh, and my family's going to be without me as a provider. You know, fear. And that works to an extent for some, but not for many when it comes to long-standing lifestyle change. For mm -hmm. long-standing lifestyle change, habits isn't enough because it crosses our nature. Our nature, our hearts are different than most people give credit to. And so that it's more powerful than we say, well, I can do that. And when somebody's in front of you, they can't. As, as soon as I say, hey, look, I need you to lose weight and take your blood sugar medication, you bet they'll do that until they walk out the door. Hmm. And a week or two after that, their blood sugars are still sky high and they've gained another pound. And I'm trying to figure out what is deeper than that. There's got to be something more. And I've discovered that there are. There are, for instance, things that you probably would do, things that others would do for other people that you wouldn't do for yourself. Hmm. Things that despite your fears, you would accomplish because fear is a funny thing. You get used to it over time. And when you get used to it, you lose your fear. And if fear was the only thing driving you, you stopped being afraid and therefore you lost your drive. But if I told you, hey, look, you have children and the children would be affected by your decisions. Mm -hmm. And those children, um, uh, they could be affected in a positive way if you perceived a need to change that would help them in a way that would sacrifice. And I use the word sacrifice and purpose. Hmm. Sacrifice is a key, a core element of long-term lifestyle change. The sense of willingness to sacrifice oneself for the love of another. Hmm. This is deeper than self-preservation. There are things, you know, I asked one father, I said, so um, would you eat a certain kind of diet in order to lose weight and drop your blood sugars? He says, no way. So said, well, here's a question. If you saw your child was playing in the street and he fell down and couldn't get up, but there were vehicles bearing down on him, and you knew that that child was going to get run over any moment, 
Would you even hesitate to run out in the middle of that street and throw that child out of the way knowing full well you would die? He says, I would not hesitate in the moment. I said, now wait a second. I just used self-preservation as a reason for you to alter your blood sugars. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't good enough. You wouldn't do it. But when I talked about the sacrificial love of a father willing to go and do something for his child that would take his own life, you were willing. I said, yeah. I said, can you harness that for your diabetes? And so sacrificial love is a term that we need to use in lifestyle change that we often don't. And I do. I use this when I talk to patients. The other things that are helpful is to realize what's deeper. Well, let's just stop there because I'm trying to make sure I understand this and perhaps my listeners are wondering the same thing. So go back to this father. Yes. So how does he use sacrificial love to motivate him to lose weight or to improve his blood sugar control? Are you saying do yeah. this for your children or what? Well, in essence, mm -hmm. I take him to a place in his heart rather than his head. I talk about what his heritage will be, what he will leave to his children for the next generation. Mm -hmm. I talk to him about what his children will remember him as. I talk to him about his own character. Hmm. We talk about integrity. We talk about honesty. We talk about hard work. We talk about... And that's actually the next point that I would get to is the vocabulary needs to include vocabulary speaking about one's character. Hmm. Because if you really see what's deeper than habits, it's character. Mm -hmm. Character is deeper than habit by far. And there are things that you would do for your character that you would not do because it's a habit. You would do in spite of the habits that were against it. But because you had a character that was built that was strong and powerful. So this father, I turned in and I talked to him about his love for his child and his character of integrity and his desire for the next generation. Mm -hmm. And his father's heart would break. Hmm. And that would be the thing that would help him move into a better way. Okay. You are definitely challenging us, Dr. Torquato. Dr. John Torquato here based in uh, Idaho. We're in the Coeur d'Alene area. He is making a difference in people that walk through his uh, two clinics in the area. He's doing a variety of community service things, and he's opening doors of influence, doors of opportunity for individuals to get special training, those who are in health care trajectories, health care tracks. We're going to talk more about Dr. Torquato, more about the things he's doing, more about some of the things that you might want to implement if you're running a tribal health clinic, if you're trying to, to help people in your community, or if you yourself are looking to get some additional training. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We'll be back with more on today's edition of our broadcast. Dr. Torquato staying by. So am I. You do the same. We're right back after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please reach out to us on the web at A-I-A-N-L dot O-R-G. That stands for American Indian Alaska Native Living. Again, A-I-A-N-L dot org. Or you can call us at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. The following is a public service announcement for victims of child abuse. For 13 and one half years, I was the victim of severe child abuse. I was being beaten, cursed, and deprived of any kind of love and care. It was a big secret. Children are born to be loved, not to be abused. If you've experienced child abuse, find someone to talk to, someone you can trust and share your hurt and disappointments. Go to overcomingabuse.org. That's overcomingabuse.org. 
We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. I'm Andrew Saul, Commissioner of Social Security. I'm here to warn you about telephone scammers pretending to be government employees. Some of these scammers may say threatening things like you will be arrested if you don't make payments or provide personal information. Do not fall for these tricks. These calls are not from us. Real Social Security employees will never threaten you for information or money. If you receive a call like this, hang up. Never give the caller your personal information, like your Social Security number or bank account, or send money in any form, cash, gift cards, wire transfers, or prepaid debit cards. Report the call to our law enforcement arm, the Office of the Inspector General at oig.ssa.gov. Share this information with your friends and family. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You are indeed back with Dr. David DeRose and with Dr. John Torquato. We are broadcasting, actually recording, this uh, pre-recorded show from Idaho Dr. Torquato, we've been speaking about this concept of whole person care, and I think you've been challenging a lot of us to look at a broader picture. If people tuning in today work for a tribal health clinic, if they're working in some kind of medical line, if they're a uh, tribal health worker, community health aide, community health worker, whatever role they have, registered nurse, dietitian, I mean, the list could go on and on. Just looking a little bit differently, we tend to focus, at least even in preventive medicine circles, on behavior. A lot of people would say, well, that's a step up from just giving everybody a pill that walks through the door. But you're saying there's a whole bigger world that we've got to consider. That's right. Talk with us a little bit more about some of the real challenges that you've seen and Maybe start with a story, a story either of success or a story of challenge that kind of helps us to, to focus our energy on, well, what people are struggling with on a day-in and day-out basis. Sure. So I'll, I'll tell you a story about a lady who um, came to a program that I was running. Now, I happen to be a Christian guy, and I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, and so I hold my programs inside a church and people are welcome to come from any background or whatever i just get free space and so we use that space mm -hmm. so i had a lady who came into the program it was a diabetes reversal program and uh, she, i heard her come in from across the room with a loud voice she announced all right who's in charge here okay <laughs> and I'm fair thinking, enough. oh my word she goes i don't like seventh day adventists and I don't like being here. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, oh, like, 
oh my, where'd I, what am I doing here? Uh-huh. She yells again, who's in charge here? And everybody points my direction. Fair <laughs> enough. You know, no. So she walks over and she gets right up in my face. And she looks at me and she gets right in my face and she says, I don't like Seventh-day Adventists and it's scary even being here. Can you give me your health principles without giving me your Seventh-day Adventism? And I said, ma'am, you know that I can. As long as you can be taken care of by somebody who believes in those principles and practices them on you. I won't mention a word. She said, fine. So we went through the program. It was an eight-week program. We meet several times a week. And by the third week, she pulled me aside aggressively. Aggressively, mm. she pulled me aside. So what? What What do you want? She said, come here. I have the question. I have a question. So she pulled me aside. And while she's pulling me aside, she looks at me very sternly. And she says, I just need to know this. What? Why do you love us like you do? Hmm. The essence of our program was a medical program. But what was happening in the program is this woman was identifying that she was being loved. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the strongest thing that she had to say about us wasn't the issue of whether or not we were teaching her principles. And they were all good. Mm -hmm. They're typical scientific medicine. Mm -hmm. But the fact that in the process of a cooking school or somehow in the process of a presentation, a medical presentation, she got the concept she was being loved. Mm. And I had several actually ask me in that particular time the same kinds of questions. Mm -hmm. So when you actually look at what difference preventive health can make, there is a heart component that must come apart Mm -hmm. from the typical science. You cannot be a cold person and not care about the individual's needs that might be quite different than my own. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, this woman wasn't any kind of my beliefs or anything like that, but I cared about her deeply. And guess what? Love begets love. She became one of the most successful people in our group. Mm. She became one of the ones that had the most effective outcomes. Mm -hmm. And in the process is a lifelong friend. When one of the young people who were volunteering at that time came back into town to get married, she was the one that wanted to be present at that marriage years later. Wow. I mean, it's an exciting story, and it really resonates with me, John, because over the years working in Native American communities, having done some health uh, projects in Africa, Asia, working a lot with uh, indigent populations here in the United States, I've noticed this dynamic. Many of the people that are the caregivers seem like they could care less. <laughs> no, I mean, really. It hurts to hear. But it's, I'm, you know, it's true. And patients have told me this over the years, you know, and whether they use the word love. And I know it's one of the challenges. I've talked with Native uh, health leaders who, you know, are running clinics and they're often dependent on people coming in maybe from the outside, maybe locum tenens, uh, providers. And oftentimes it seems that these people don't, value their traditions. They don't value the people. It's just a job. They're punching the clock and, hey, here's what you got to do. This is this. And so I think you've really hit the nail on the head. And I think this is inspiring to Native youth, to youth of other populations that may feel marginalized, may feel less valued, because you can go back, you can get a training, you can get a background, and then you can come back and make a difference for your people to give back. 
John, I know one of the big visions that you have is not just helping people, but it's also training that next generation of healthcare providers. Right now, I understand that you've got a, a team of young folks who are either pre-medical or medical students that are coming through your clinics, your community health events. Tell us why someone would take time off, maybe as much as a year, and leave their educational trajectory and say, we're going to spend some time in Coeur d'Alene with, with Dr. John Torquato. What are you doing that's attracting health professionals? Again, nothing that I do is original. Nothing that I do has any special traits to it that come from anything that I've originated. This is just simply following principles that we've already talked about. Loving care, sacrifice, and character traits that rise to an occasion that are stronger than your own, your own life. So basically they come because there's vision. Hmm. The vision that they carry is that, well, let me put it this way. You could, you could go out in the street and you could advertise for somebody to come work for you for a good salary and a pension and, um, and lots of benefits and, uh, free time and time off and et cetera, et cetera. And you could say, who would come and join me? And everybody raise their hand. Uh huh. What I do is different. I go out and I talk to the same groups of people. And I said, who will be willing to give everything and receive nothing? Who would be willing to give everything for the benefit of another human being and care for them in a way that they may not even understand the depth of your care? Hmm. Who would be willing to suffer in the process and sacrifice? Do without. And in doing this, you would do it for your creator. You do it because your creator wants you to do that. Because your creator loves these people. And you are simply responding in devotion to that creator. In every group of, say, a hundred, one or two will raise their hands. And those are the ones I want. Spending time with me is not a vacation, but it is insightful. Mm -hmm. Because people come at medicine from a different angle than they're normally used to. So people who are sometimes discouraged mm -hmm. with typical medical outcomes, sometimes preparing to disengage, really, from life in a sense that uh, they're just going to get a fast car and a nice job and a place by the beach and start living life that's like that. When they came actually as ministers, they actually came as uh, one to bless another. You mean they started their medical career that way but kind of lost the vision along yes, the way? Uh -huh. Yes, and I can't tell you how many of this has happened. How many people that this has happened to that I've been witness and they become re-energized when they see people blessed by their effort. Mm. So speak to someone who might be listening today. They're maybe in that position or maybe they're in their training and they're getting disillusioned. They see all the secular perks, but they don't see people being cared for. And they say, boy, I'm in medical school. I'd love to spend some time with Dr. Torquato. Is there a process for doing that? Typically, um, the individuals that are interested in, in rotating with me will contact me by email or so. And when they contact me, they'll um, tell me what their reasoning is for coming. Mm -hmm. um, I'm very careful about those that come. I interview them personally. Mm -hmm. When they come, they see the sacrifice that I live. The average physician will make three or four times more money than I do. Mm -hmm. I keep myself on what we call the denominational wage. 
scale. Even though I make more money than that, I give it back to the patients in time or in funds or in effort or whatever have you. So they would be interviewed by me. They spend time with me. Mm -hmm. They see what my family life is like because they live in my home. Wow. Okay. They travel to and from work in my vehicle with me. Mm -hmm. They interact with my children. So because of that, I'm very careful about who comes. Well, that makes sense. So again, if someone does want to reach out to you, I know we shared this in a previous segment, but what is that email address again? Dr. Torquato at fmcclinic.org. Okay, so D-R, then Torquato. Spell that out for us. It's D-R-T-O-R-Q-U-A-T-O at fmcclinic.org. Very good. Dr. John Torquato is going to stay by for our next segment of today's broadcast. We've got some very exciting things coming up, some stories, some life-changing perspectives that can make a difference in your community, at a tribal health center, in your own home. You don't want to miss it. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We'll be back with more right after these messages. American Indian and Alaska Native Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please contact us on the web at AIANL.org or call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. The following is a public service announcement for victims of child abuse. The most negative thinking in my childhood was the things said to me. I felt like I was a bag of garbage waiting to go to the dump. Please, moms and dads, put a watch on your mouth as you relate to your children. If you've experienced child abuse, find someone to talk to, someone you can trust and share your hurt and disappointments. Go to overcomingabuse.org. That's overcomingabuse.org. Papa, why can't we telegraph while riding a horse? Son, there ain't no one to blame but Jeffro. He was riding old Betsy the Stallion, tip-tapping away at his telegraph, when blam, ran right into the side of the saloon. Well, if Jeffro can't do it, neither should you. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Heard-Garris with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. Every year, hundreds of teens drown. If your teen hasn't learned to swim yet, it's never too late. Even if your teen is a strong swimmer, make sure to supervise kids of any age. No one should swim alone. Teach them to enter the water feet first, wear life jackets on a boat, and never use alcohol or drugs on the water. Drowning is preventable. For more, visit HealthyChildren.org. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for youth. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals into your body. And nicotine, which can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk, they hear you. Learn more at underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. 
Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. We are back with the second half of today's edition of our broadcast. We're trying to do something new as we're upgrading the format, expanding the reach of our program, also trying to put out some video footage on some of the different broadcasts that we're doing. So look for that and uh, check out your local station. They'll have information perhaps about where you can watch some video footage as well. One great place to go is simply to my website, which is compasshealth.net, compasshealth.net. That will give you a lot of information. If you can't easily find the video footage there, then uh, I'll tell you, we've got our American Indian and Alaska Native Living website, AI for American Indian, AN for Alaska Native Living, L.org, A-I-A-N-L.org, okay? Across from me, Dr. John Torquato. John, it's been great to be here with you. You and I had a chance. Uh, we took a little bit more time than the real two minutes we've got during the break and watched a video that was produced about a gentleman by the name of Dale. He identifies himself on that video, so we're not uh, divulging any personal information that he has not put out there publicly. So tell us a little bit about Dale's story, because I think it really illustrates a lot about what we've been talking about. Sure. Um, Dale, um, Dale has a history. He's part of a minority that tends to have a very high diabetic rate and a very a high consequence from that diabetes. Um, he was suffering at the time. Uh, he had had previous uh, kidney transplant, pancreatic transplant from his diabetes. Wow. He had uh, two pancreases and three kidneys in his body at the time, and none of them worked. Wow. Uh, the consequence of that is that he was on dialysis, and his dialysis was not going well um, because uh, he was because of the hormonal shifts from his diabetes. He was hungry, very hungry, mm. famished. He couldn't hold back his appetite. He was always thirsty because he's supposed to be on a fluid restriction. Mm -hmm. He couldn't keep it, and so he would drink and drink, and and yet uh, had seemed seemingly no power to stop. And then uh, when he had dialysis, his fluids would shift so much that he was sick for the whole day and the next day. Wow. So if you could imagine being hungry all the time, thirsty all the time, and sick six days out of seven, um, that was his life. Mm -hmm. And uh, he had gone back to the uh, transplant center and said, I want another kidney. And they said, no chance. Uh, you weigh too much. You, okay. you, he was obese. And because he was obese, he said, you need to lose 35 pounds. And when you lose 35 pounds, we'll consider whether or not we'll let you have another kidney. And so he's sick every day, he's hungry every day, he's thirsty every day, he's trying to lose weight, and it's just not working. And mm. he went nine months and was unable to lose any part of his 35 pounds. Wow, not even a pound. Not even a pound. It was just, just wasn't working. Mm. And he tried everything he could, and he came to me basically hopeless. He was, you know, put yourself in the position where you think that you're always famished, mm -hmm. where you're always thirsty, and then you're sick to your stomach at the same time. And you think, I'm going to die like this. I'm going to end my days just like this. And he was about ready. And that was his history before he ever walked through the doors of your clinic. Have that I got correct. that right? That is wow. correct. Wow. So he shows up like this on your doorstep, tells you this story, and were you immediately excited that here was someone you could help? Or are you thinking, boy, what is he doing at my doorstep? Well, yeah, um, it was kind of like the second thing. You know, what's he, what are you doing here? Because, mm -hmm. you know, it's quite a uh, serious condition. So I asked him, have you been in touch with your nephrologist? Have you talked about how you could deal with this? And he says, well, um, 
the kidney transplant center had suggested gastric bypass to lose weight. And he said, I talked to my nephrologist. He said, Dale, you won't get off the table. Mm-hmm. You are so critical. You have diabetes, which is so brittle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have fluid shifts. And you have electrolyte shifts. And you're in bad health anyway. And he says, you'll never survive. You'll never get off the table. So he was, he says, my only opportunity to to lose weight and get a kidney was basically pulled out from under me. And then he turns to me and says, so what can you do? Hmm. And so I, I didn't know what to do. And so in the room, I sat and looked at him for a while and, and talked. And we basically, um, what I often do is I asked him, I said, you know, I'm a, I'm a man of faith. Are you a man of faith? He said, yes. And I said, can I, can I speak to our creator about this? Mm-hmm. And he says, well, you're welcome to. And I said, with you here? He said, yeah. So I prayed. And as, after I prayed, I was thinking about it. and says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I've been inspired to offer you something that is really crazy. He says, what's that? I says, you haven't been able to lose a pound of weight despite all that you've been going through. And I said, I think I know something that might help you. What is that? He says, I would like you to go on a three-day fast with me and my staff. And then I want my staff and members of your own faith community, uh, of the faith community that I belong to uh, as well, to help me support you in the community for a long time. Mm. After your three-day fast, when we mm-hmm. go back into a regular diet, a different kind of diet, I said, well, what kind of diet? I said, well, you're going to be, it's kind of crazy. I said, well, what do you mean? I said, I want you to eat a vegetarian diet, a total vegetarian diet. And what was his response to that? What are you, crazy? <laughs> <laughs> it all, you know, and I know what this is like. When I was young, I was a butcher for my family. You know, okay. I, I was the one that butchered the meat and put it on the table. I was the one that took the milk and milked the goats and put it on the table. Uh-huh. You know, when somebody told me about vegetarianism, I was like, crazy. What are you, nuts? You uh-huh. know, but I know the difference it makes. And so I, I held it out to him because I knew what he was going through. I could talk to him about that. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, sure, let's do it. And I said, not so fast, not so fast. So we need to talk to your nephrologist and your other doctors because I'm really stepping out on a limb. You're so brittle. You could die from this fast. Mm. The fast itself could kill you because you could have electrolyte shifts and sugar mm-hmm. changes and stuff. And So I talked to his nephrologist, and his nephrologist said, John, I don't think he has any other options, honestly. Mm. And nobody else is willing to step out. So mm-hmm. if you're willing, go. And his other physicians, he said, yeah. So with their blessing, I said, okay, let's do it. And we pulled the staff into the office, and we gathered around him. We all laid hands on him. We turned our hearts to the Creator, and we asked him to give guidance on how we should proceed because none of us really knew what the outcome was going to be. Mm-hmm. We knew it was going to be difficult and maybe even dangerous, mm. but we had to move forward because he had no hope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. So basically, guys at the end of his rope, I don't know how he ended up in your office. Did you ever find that out? Referral. Okay. You know, word of mouth. Word of mouth. So here's that this uh, Dr. Torquato is doing some unconventional things, and he feels like, well, might as well try. Starts hearing about this crazy program, but he's willing to do it, and you're basically praying for him, supporting him. Does he actually start on the fast? Well, I, as I spoke with him, uh, he agreed to start on the fast immediately. And so several of my team and myself, we all agreed to go with him on okay. this fast. Because, again... Part of a whole person care is the social component mm. 
And to go by yourself doing something so difficult is oftentimes above what we're able. You need a companion. You need a fellow, somebody with you mm. that understands what you're going through. So when he says, you know, I'm really hungry, I say, yeah, I know. And, I'm, <laughs> and it's really difficult. I said, yeah, I know. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, because I did. Right, right. And the staff with him. So he would go home and then we saw him, we talked to him, communicate with him multiple times a day. Okay. Every day for three days. He'd be in the office every day and then we'd send people out to his home, which was a long ways away. Mm-hmm. People from our faith community would go out to his home and check on him to make sure that he was okay. And then they would give me reports and then my partner would go out to his home and check on him. And then after the three days, he was successful. Now before he couldn't stop a single pound, but in three days, and because he was always hungry and thirsty. Mm-hmm. But for three days, he did not eat. Mm-hmm. He just drank water. And his sugars were everywhere. We were constantly adjusting and During changing. During the fast. Oh, yes. Oh, uh-huh. Very much everywhere. And his electrolytes at the same time, we were monitoring those very closely. Mm-hmm. And his electrolytes were going nuts. Whoa. Potassium and phosphorus and all these different, uh-huh. just kind of crazy things. And so, but we carefully monitored all of that, and he got through his three-day fast. We started putting him back onto vegetables and slowly got him back into some cooked vegetables and gave him a vegetarian diet with fruits and vegetables and nuts and grains and legumes or beans and such and grains, and which what he wasn't used to. But he knew what it was like to be without food for three days, so he was grateful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <You know? laughs> okay. And so in the end, uh, he lost all of his weight that he needed to. We, we stuck with him uh-huh. for the whole time where this faith community was out there just always supporting him outside of the clinic. And then when he came to the clinic, of course, the clinic would also support above him. And he met his weight goal, and he exceeded his weight goal. And in the process of meeting and exceeding his weight goal, the transplant center said, look, you're supposed to lose this weight and you did a wonderful job, but we don't believe you. Well, what do you mean they don't believe you? We don't believe you. They said, you know, I see that, you know, you've done it, but you're not going to keep it. So you need to keep this weight off for a year. How did that make him feel? At first, hopeless. Uh huh. But the same power of the social network of the combined community, the same network, the same network that strengthened his spiritual life, the same network that gave him hope so that he wasn't depressed, wasn't anxious about this, helped him to make the physical changes he Mm -hmm, needed. mm -hmm. And in the end, he kept the weight off and continued to drop it for the period of an entire year. Wow! At the end of the year, he went and got his kidney transplant. Tremendous. And to this day, he drinks a full quart of water and enjoys it. Before, he couldn't drink any water. Now he pees and really pees Mm -hmm. rather than Uh just having it come out through his blood. Right. You know, and because uh, his bladder hadn't been working for like a year or better, uh-huh. you know, and uh, and he's happy. He's at peace. He's hopeful. And now not only is he hopeful, but he's also going out and trying to alter the lives of other people in a good way. Mm. He's actually trying to help other people who are hopeless to make their lives better. And so uh-huh. he's getting involved in legislation. He's getting involved in uh, hospital boards. He's getting involved in community uh, action events that are helping people with kidney issues. That is just an amazing story. And I, I know, like I said, uh, prior to uh, really launching into the segment, you have a video that chronicles his life story. Are some of these videos and these other stories uh, experiences that grow out of your work here in the Coeur d'Alene area, are they chronicled at some website? Is there a place people can go to take advantage of some of these things? There are. Um, typically, these videos and these kind of things um, would be best understood by people of faith 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so I have a website that uh, an email that I use that people can use to get these things. It includes principles that I work by. It includes stories of faith um, of people who have made huge changes, but they did it through their spiritual lives. Mm-hmm. Um, if somebody wanted access to those, I'd be happy to share them. Typically, they're for people of faith, mm-hmm. but if somebody uh, from some other background wanted to look at that, they could look at it and have access to those. I'm, I'm okay with that. Okay, so but the best single point of reference is just that single email address that you've given out uh, in previous segments. Why don't you do that again? Because can't people just contact you and you can yeah, refer? Yeah, th- and I can serve that to them at pieces. So give us that best email address again. Dr. Torquato at fmcclinic.org. That's D-R-T-O-R-Q-U-A-T-O at fmcclinic.org. Okay, if you're hearing it for the first time, again, it's D-R Torquato, and that's spelled T-O-R-Q-U-A-T-O at fmcclinic.org. John, we've got one final segment. You're able to stay by for that? Great. We're going to do one more segment in today's edition of the broadcast. You don't want to miss it. Dr. Torquato really sharing life-transforming concepts that can make a difference regardless if you're just concerned about people in your own home, in your tribal community, in your local clinic, whatever it is. You don't want to miss our final segment. More great stuff, especially training opportunities for individuals who are in healthcare trajectories. I'm Dr. DeRose. We'll be back with more right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. The following is a public service announcement for victims of child abuse. If child abuse victims don't get counseling or help, they shall often become abusers themselves. The victim doesn't make the decisions. They just take the orders. I got help. And so can you. If you've experienced child abuse, find someone to talk to, someone you can trust and share your hurt and disappointments. Go to overcomingabuse.org. That's overcomingabuse.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Shelley Flace with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. If you own firearms, it's your responsibility to make sure they're always stored safely. Hiding them in a closet or drawer is not enough. Kids know where they are. Research shows the risk of injury and death is lower if guns are stored unloaded and locked up with the ammunition locked in a separate place. This is important when children are young as well as when they grow into teenagers. For more, talk with your pediatrician or visit HealthyChildren.org. So I wanted to talk with you and your mom today, Lily, because some people at school have noticed changes going on with you, and we're concerned. Like what? Who? Some of your friends, teachers. It sounds like you've lost interest in a lot of things lately. You're hanging with new friends? So? So, individually, maybe those things are no big deal. But taken together, and then the incident the other day, you were with Derek when he was caught selling marijuana. Yeah, he was selling it. Honey, we know. But we care about you and and want to know what's going on. That's right. We just want to understand better and see how we might help. And if weed is a part of it, we just want to make sure you understand the negative consequences for someone your age. The physical and mental health effects, the poor decision-making, and the confusing legal aspects these days. So what do you say? 
Can we talk? For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to our final segment of today's broadcast. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Dr. John Torquato being very gracious, allowing us to record right in his offices just outside of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. He has been making a huge difference not only in his community, but people have been coming from literally around the world to get training in a very novel approach toward whole person medical care. John, I know as we've spoken throughout this broadcast, if people have been with us from the top of the hour, they've heard you identify yourself as a Christian, as a Seventh-day Adventist. Is this a program that is really just for people of your faith community? Well, actually, I don't consider it a program. Um, It's simply an office of people that yearn to bless others. And uh, as far as training is concerned, I look for very specific things in the training uh, in, in the individuals that are interested in training here, they, they are not just Seventh-day Adventist Christians that come to my office. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are Seventh-day Adventist Christians that wouldn't want to. Okay. You know? The issue is, do we share the same purpose in our interest in medicine? Mm-hmm. Is there a meaning to medicine more than just the clinical sense where this care, this love, the character is developed, the conscience is enlivened, you know, a knowledge of that creator that's better, you know, that's greater than us. Is that an interest in the individuals? I've had people who are from a variety of backgrounds, uh, many of them not Christians, uh, very secular in their own, you know, admission. Mm -hmm. But that's okay. Um, People who are Muslim come from a different faith background than my own. Uh, I could envision people that were native. You know, we've had many talks we've had with natives. In fact, one of my uh, very close friends um, who is a native and works with natives finds uh, he's kind of a, I don't want to say a chaplain, but he's worked with us mm-hmm. on occasion to help others that are natives through our office. Okay. And so if people wanted to come and participate, they could, as long as there was a, a combined meaning in their life that was similar to ours, that there was a motivation and a purpose for their desire that was not just clinical uh, and it was not just financial, lucrative background that you get in, in healthcare. Mm-hmm. But they're willing to sacrifice for the benefit of others in their own communities. Those kinds of people I would interview mm-hmm. and bring in and have and have uh, over um, the many years that we've worked here. So talk to someone who may be, let's say they've uh, completed maybe an undergraduate program. Maybe they've gotten some prerequisites done. Perhaps they're thinking about nursing school. I understood that there was someone who recently was accepted into medical school and decided to take some time off and is planning to do some some work with you. Tell us how that whole process works, because it's a little bit different, right? Yeah, there are several levels that we work with here in the office. One way that we do things is we try to work in the community uh, with our local faith community to provide for them um, uh, resource backup for programs that they might do that are health-related and beneficial to the community. So that's one thing we do. Uh, The second thing that we do is we train medical students and health professionals Mm -hmm. uh, with this concept of whole-person care that includes a deeper understanding of just past behavioral change, 
that goes into um, character alteration, that goes into the strengthening of one's conscience, and really tries to focus on a knowledge of their creator as a source of overcoming temptations that they would face in lifestyle changes. And so uh, those, those people that were interested in those kind of things, we would help to train them. So uh, the other thing we do, we experiment with uh, outreach efforts for health-related activities. So I have right now five young people who have volunteered for a period of one full year that uh, they have come to work for me without pay. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, the agreement is all I have to do is house them and feed them and provide a little transportation income. And they'll work for me for free for that year. And I send them into the homes of people in the community who are hopeless. Mm-hmm. And I send them into the homes of the diabetics that feel they could never overcome their diabetes. And they're, uh, they're overweight, they're obese, uh, they're hypertensive, they have high cholesterol, they may have had a TIA or something like that. And they're Sugars are so bad, they've got diabetic neuropathy and their feet hurt all the time, that kind of stuff, where they don't feel like they've got any help. And I send these uh, people into the homes to do that, uh, to help them to cook, to exercise, wow. to organize, to prepare their lives. You know, the people they're around oftentimes are related to, uh, to them that oftentimes also share the same problems. Uh-huh, they're obese, uh-huh. they are hypertensive, they're diabetic. Sometimes they have a lot of substance abuse issues, alcohol and drugs of various types. And so when the people are there in the home, they actually provide a, a kind of a rescue in a sense from the hopelessness that they would otherwise have. Now, since COVID-19 has occurred, we've transitioned that rather than going into the homes and, and potentially providing a source of infection to somebody who could <laughs> okay. be that vulnerable. We are now moving to Zoom um, mm-hmm. health coaching so that these uh, young people that have volunteered will Zoom with individuals on a frequent basis at least every week and help them to set goals, and then help them to, and they will give them some educational information and then and work with them on the goals that they need to from a distance that's safe under this COVID-19 uh, situation that we're all in, mm-hmm. trying to adapt to ways to benefit people still and not provide them the negative consequences of personal interaction that might Fair make enough. them infected. So I'm just listening, and I'm, I'm thinking I've met many community health workers, community health representatives in Indian <laughs> country, that are or historically have gone into homes, I could envision maybe someone listening to this show saying, this sounds like there may be some different approaches that I could learn from. If someone like that wanted to spend some time here, how much time would they have to block off? Are we talking about the only option being a full year? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, If somebody was interested in just coming for a day and looking and seeing what they have, I'd be happy to... Because my my issue is nothing that we do is proprietary. Nothing that we do is original. It belongs to somebody else, and our job is to share it to strengthen the community. Mm-hmm. And so if somebody comes and they want to see what we're doing, I'm quite open mm-hmm. to sharing with them all that we do. And then the same concept, though, comes. What we want to give is vision, mm-hmm. which inspires hope. If we can give vision to somebody, whether it be a patient or a healthcare professional or maybe somebody who is an administrator of healthcare professionals, to see how life could be different and give hope that there could be a difference made, you know, than, than our purpose for existence has, can, has been met. Now, I know our time is fast uh, escaping us. We don't have a lot of time. I don't know if you could condense this into a couple of minutes, but it seems like I heard a presentation you gave maybe a few years ago, maybe longer. We were talking about a physician or a medical student who came and spent some time here, changed his whole perspective on medicine and Can you just give a glimpse of that that might uh, encourage someone else who's at the same point? Well, people have different responses to what I do. Mm -hmm. 
some people are quite inspired by the fact that there is sacrificial love that's demonstrated at every level. And they're into that. Mm -hmm. Others, when they find out that at the end of the tunnel of effort and pain of going through the training portion of medicine or nursing or whatever have you, um, because I know what those are about. I am both a nurse and a physician. So I know what that training is like, Uh and it's quite arduous. When they found out that at the end of all that, they didn't necessarily have the income guaranteed if they were going to do work like I did Mm -hmm. because it's a sacrifice. And they didn't quite have the uh, power or the influence guaranteed that comes with the typical uh, MD uh, that if you're going to be sacrificing on this level, you're going to be serving. Mm -hmm. You're going to be serving at a great cost to you personally. Mm Mm-hmm. When he understood that, he was quite—he was quite upset. He stood up and actually yelled, you know, about oh, his really? anger. That why didn't somebody tell me about this beforehand? Because the thing that I want, that I went into medicine to do, to be sacrificial, and to, you could be sacrificial and still make an income. That's true. Uh-huh. Um, but when he saw that this was a challenge to that at all, it was very painful to him to see. Wow, wow. So basically, uh, what you're doing here is not going to necessarily resonate with everyone. That's correct. But some people have caught a vision. It's changed their whole approach. People that you might have said were on the verge of burnout, maybe are are reinvigorated, go back to their clinics and their their practices with a new sense of vision. John, I know uh, it's been inspiring to me to talk with you. It always is. We've had the privilege over the years of talking on a number of occasions. I really appreciate you taking this full hour and spending this time with us and sharing with uh, with all my listeners your vision. I'm happy to have been here. Thank you so much. I know there's folks that uh, maybe have just jumped on at the very tail end of the program. We've given out your contact information several times, but why don't we do it one more time as we're winding up? Can you give us the best email to use to reach you? Yes, it's drtorquato at fmcclinic.org. That's D-R-T-O-R-Q-U-A-T-O, Torquato, at FMC. That's Frank Mary Charlie, fmcclinic, all one word, dot O-R-G. Great. John, as we're winding up the show, We've talked about a lot of things. If you wanted to leave one message with our listeners, whether they're health professionals or not, is there something simple that kind of crystallizes some of the things we've talked about? Yes, I do have one thing, and that is there is a creator that wants all men to be whole. Hmm. And that will not happen without our sacrifice. Wow. Thank you, Dr. John Torquato, and thank you, each one, for joining us today on today's edition of American Indian Living. I hope today has inspired you that there is a group of uh, practitioners like Dr. Torquato, like myself, I, I, sh- I resonate with that vision, like many others, who are saying, really, we want to come alongside you. We want to help you. We want to help you on your journey. And feel free to reach out to Dr. Torquato, to reach out to others, to challenge yourself. If you are a care provider, if you're in tribal health administration, if you're uh, sitting on a uh, tribal council, Think about some of these different ways to approach medical care among your people, among your community. It could very well make all the difference. I'm Dr. David DeRose, as always, wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.